Welcome everyone. My name is Joe DiDonato and this is the BCI Distinguished Leader Series. I'm the uh, Chief of Staff for Baker Communications. In honor of the National Disability Employment Awareness Month, we are really honored to have uh, Marianne Hegley joining us. She is the Program Director for Learning and Development at Insight, a great organization. I'm not going to steal her thunder. I'm going to let her tell you all about it. But uh, Marianne has been in this world for more than 20 years in uh, learning and leadership development as a professional uh, with engagements uh, in nonprofit, the public, and private sectors. Uh, and before she joined Ensite, uh, which, by the way, is spelled N-S-I-T-E, she integrated and uh, managed uh, startup and ongoing immigration information operations for the U.S. Department of the State worldwide and served as the business manager of an international school. So we're quite honored to have uh, Marianne join us today for this episode. So with that as a quick start here, Marianne, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and Insight's mission? Thank you, Joe. Thank you for having me. Man, that sounds like I'm ancient if I'm listening to your introduction of what I've done professionally already. And as a good practice within the blind and low vision community, let me describe myself to you. I am a 60-year-old white woman. I'm wearing glasses and have short hair. I like to refer to my hair color as salt and pepper, but if the truth be known, it's trending heavily towards just salt. Um, I've been with Insight for a relatively short time. I, I still consider myself a newbie. I've been here for nine months now, maybe going on 10. And Insight is a startup in the, every sense of the word. We are an enterprise of the National Industries for the Blind because NIB is really focused on government contracting and Ability One contracting. And they wanted to have greater flexibility to serve a larger community. And so they decided to form a new nonprofit, Insight. And we've been running now for about a year and a half. And our solitary, single, and most focused mission is to find career and employment opportunities for people who are blind or have low vision. And that is really everything we do. Uh, as, as you mentioned, Joe, I'm the program director for learning and leadership. And so a lot of what we do is helping people get prepared for employment, help them build career skills and provide training programs for that and then do everything we can to help them find the perfect employment opportunity. That's great. How big of a population is it, the folks that have visual impairments or, or are blind? Well, the, the numbers vary depending on, on which resource you tap into, but according to the CDC's Vision Health Initiative, there's approximately 12 million people 40 years and over in the United States alone who have a vision impairment. And that includes about 1 million who are blind and about 3 million who have vision impairment after correction. So it's a large community. And, you know, if you look at current unemployment rates, which are really at a historical low for the blind and low vision community, it's still at about 70% of either unemployment or underemployment. And we're really trying hard to, to change that. It's a big number. I think when all of us think of the blind, we, we think of that as being blind from birth, but that's not always the case. Maybe you can tell uh, the listeners something a little bit about the backgrounds of some of your students that you're working with. Yeah, it's actually a really good question, a very good point. I have a colleague who is blind who plays 
blind hockey. And the first time I heard that, I, I said, I'm sighted, by the way. But I told you I wear glasses, which means I actually have a visual impairment as well. And my colleague, Doug, plays blind hockey. And I learned that, you know, there's obviously varying degrees of blindness or low vision. And so the majority of the folks who come to us for training are folks who have lost their vision later in life, who had successful careers, and then they lost their vision either partially or completely. And now they have to pivot and find either a way to function within their existing career, if that's possible, or identify a new career path they're actually interested in and want to build a new second meaningful career under these changed circumstances. The, the, the challenges those folks face have to do on the one hand with dealing with everything that comes with low vision or blindness. On the other hand, learning assistive technologies and how to use those effectively to then again, like I said, continue in an existing career or start a new one. So for us, the majority of the people who come to us have lost their vision later in life. There are very few who are blind from birth, especially with the younger generation. They almost have an advantage in terms of assistive technologies because they're growing up with it and they're, they're schooled in it from a young age. But the adult learners that come to us who have lost their vision, we're dealing with a variety of issues to try and help them get comfortable with the new situation, use the new technologies, and then get the content and career skills that they need to succeed in the future. Yeah, and I think uh, you mentioned before that even some of them are uh, ex-military folks that were injured in the war. Uh, I guess you can have uh, blindness occur for a variety of reasons, even a car accident. Is that correct, though? Correct, yes. And actually, we, we keep stressing that, yes, we are here to serve primarily blind and low vision individuals, as well as veterans. And there are blinded veterans out there. There's a whole association uh, in support of blinded veterans. We work closely with those associations as well to support them. It, it can be a cause of disease. It can be a side effect of diabetes that, that affects your vision as well. It's a variety of reasons why people might lose their vision. And again, varying degrees of vision loss. But we're here really to support that entire community, no matter where they are, how they got to it, we're here to help. Your group is really organized to help train folks with visual impairment or blindness, uh, use special equipment. Uh, I know we had to adjust our courseware so that it was usable for, for the folks. But what we're really trying to do is get the folks employed again. And you mentioned there's a high uh, unemployment with the whole group, about 70% of everybody with visual impairment or blindness are, are uh, without work. So if I'm an, uh, an employer and I'm looking to bring in a person that has a visual impairment, what kind of jobs can they handle? Uh, but maybe we can take two roles and, and look at them for illustration and see them we, we are in the world of training salespeople, maybe look at the role of someone handling outbound sales calls. Is that something they can do and one that handles inbound sales calls? What do we have to do to provide the right equipment for them in their home? And if we end up having them come into the work environment, what, what do we need to do there? Educate us. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> Take this opportunity. And you mentioned NDEAM, the, the National Disability Employment Awareness Month that's coming up in October, right? And it's really one of our key roles, I think, at Insight is to help employers understand 
that building a diverse workforce includes folks who, who have other challenges, right? For example, blind and, and, and low vision. We try to help employers understand that making your workplace accessible for especially our community is neither complicated nor cost prohibitive, right? There's a couple of key things you need to keep in mind and then you have a highly talented professional workforce that you can tap into that you may not have thought of in the past. So when we talk about blind and low vision workers, most of them will require access to some sort of assistive technology. And the type of technology depends on their degree of vision loss and what they consider the best fit technology for them. If they come to you for a job opportunity, they will already have experience in using their assistive technology. And you can just ask them, what are you currently using? And then make sure they have access to that in your workspace. Okay. So let me give you an example. My colleagues who are completely blind are using screen readers. It's a software that you buy. The cost is approximately $1,000. And that's just the cost of it. And what it does is it reads what you and I are looking at on our computer screen. But the screen reader reads it to them, they have an earpiece in the ear and they listen to what's on the screen and they complete the work often faster than I can because they can turn up the speed of their screen reader faster than I can read the text in an email that you send me. It's a very effective way if you're proficient in the use of, uh, of uh, the software, this is really not a hindrance at all in getting your work done, right? So that's one thing. If the individual has low vision, you may need to buy magnification software for them. That's probably the most expensive item would be a video magnifier and that costs approximately $2,900. The bottom line is you can make the reasonable accommodations for blind and low vision employees for less than $5,000. And really the prep is no less, or the onboarding is no less complicated than it is for any other new employee. You just have to make sure that their workspace is set up. In your case, in your example, the sales rep would have to have the exact same setup as everybody else, plus that add-on assistive technology. They can take calls, they can take notes, they can fill in Salesforce data, they can send out emails, they can make outbound calls, just like you and me, there is no difference. You know, there's a couple of roles in the uh, sales world. One we call BDR, Business Development uh, Representative. Yep. And their job is to go out and call down through a, a list of potential uh, clients that a uh, business might have. Uh, it's going to be different depending on whether you're facing uh, a consumer market or if you're facing a, a market uh, like we do, which is more the business market. But once they they have a list and the, and the, and the numbers, uh, they're, they're off to the races, right? It's a simple phone conversation after that, or they're leaving a voicemail. That's all pretty standard. So, you know, lots of times we use uh, marketing uh, to generate a lot of inbound leads and someone is going to have inevitably some questions on that. And that's where they can also work there. So those are two two examples. Are there any other kinds of roles that you can see working really well for, for these folks, especially now that we're, we're working remote? I'm glad you asked that because, you know, if there had to be a silver lining in this whole pandemic situation, it is that there's now a greater reliance on remote technologies. People can work from home more. And that definitely benefits our community because commuting is one of the biggest challenges, obviously. So what we try to do is identify career paths that are best fit for this community. One of the programs we offer that, that I think illustrates what you were just describing is a certificate program 
for sourcing specialists, and those are candidate sourcing specialists. So it's a, a, a subset of professionals in talent acquisition. And those are the folks who do the first sourcing of candidates in a recruitment process. So what we do with them, we have a 12-week classroom program where they do online learning, and then we have weekly meetings that are facilitator-led where we walk through the courses they took online. They can ask questions, we show them tips and tricks. They have to learn how to navigate search platforms like LinkedIn or Google or anything else for that matter. We do that for 12 weeks. And then we have a work experience built in with a corporate partner, in this case, Bristol Myers Squibb. And they work on a talent acquisition team in small groups and they're handed, just like you mentioned, they're handed a list of leads and they say, here's a list of potential candidates. Here's a list of job openings, find us matches. And so they have to do all the search work, figure it out. And in the past quarter, we graduated in May. And we had folks who were so comfortable with this as part of that work experience that they got to make outbound phone calls and reach out to potential candidates and talk to them capture the notes, work with the system that the corporate partner had in place to capture all the data they needed to capture and then pass those leads on to the recruiter who would take the next step. So this is exactly how this works and not having vision is no hindrance to doing a great job on this. So if they're, if they're working from their homes, uh, Marianne, is there a chance that they already have some of this equipment? And if not, are there any programs states run or the federal government run that that can assist an employer? Yes, absolutely. So first and foremost, I'm going to just say, feel free to give us a call. Insight actually does consulting for employers who have any and all questions about how to make these accommodations and how to make these hiring situations a success. But yes, Mm -hmm. each state has a vocational rehabilitation agency and they help folks with disabilities, and in our case, blind and low vision individuals, get the training they need. There is actually financial support, not just for curricular activities and and coursework, but also they often have funding available to cover the first three months of their salaries. Or if you want to hire somebody for an internship, very often they will cover salaries during an internship. So I would recommend that you check with your state vocational rehabilitation agency and find out what is available to you. That's definitely a good plan. Yeah. I remember back in, I was teaching a technology class back in uh, uh, Massachusetts and they had a very active program for the veterans that, you know, lots of times the the actual uh, course was covered by the the program, depended how how the uh, supplier was set up with the government, but that was one thing. And then there was this ongoing, I think it was like $5,000 a year for for additional needs of, of that veteran. So I know each state is very, very different, but I, I, I remember Massachusetts having a very strong program like that. So that's good to know. And again, I'm glad you mentioned how to get a hold of your team for doing the consulting, because that's, I think these are the questions that all of us face as employers, but here's a pool of workers that we've never tapped into that can do a lot of great things. They've had something either, they, either they were born with a problem or they've had something unfortunate happen to them while, you know, serving in the military or maybe uh, just driving uh, to work one day and all of a sudden their life changed in, a, in an instant. That doesn't mean that 
they are not as capable, if not more capable than some of the rest of us that are out there working. I think that's a really important point, Joe, because, you know, as sighted folks, we tend to see the fact that this person is blind and that's what we're focusing on. But they've already had uh, all kinds of education, a successful career, and that doesn't go away just because they now have vision loss, right? And one of the most beautiful examples of this is the architect who built and designed the new headquarters for the National Industries for the Blind in Alexandria, Virginia. This is a blind architect, and he designed the whole building. After he lost his vision, he thought his career was over as an architect, but it was not. And he designed this building. I have never seen a building like this. It was an eye-opener, to coin a phrase, to see how they leveraged new technologies to make sure this building was completely accessible to blind folks. It's a thing of beauty. This is why we're trying to get the word out that this is a highly professional, talented workforce. And if you ever were looking for an employee with grit, somebody who can pivot, somebody who can overcome challenges, this is your workforce. They've already overcome the hardest challenge that I could ever possibly imagine. And here they are going strong. It is time to find their candidate amongst that workforce. Yeah, and we strongly agree. Otherwise, we wouldn't have gotten so involved with your team, but it's been a joy. Maybe that's a, a good thing to talk about a little bit. Why don't you tell us about the program that you put together with Baker Communications and and how the students feel about it? Uh, you know, the, just give us some background. Did they go, oh, no, not another training program? Or, or, was, it, <laughs> or was it received in a different light? Yeah, actually, that conversation with between Insight and Baker started before I started at, at Insight. And so I was able to take on that process when a lot of the baseline work has already had already been done. And that was fantastic. So we took a closer look. Sales, again, we felt was a good potential career path for our community. And so we were looking for a partner in the learning and development industry with a focus on sales. And of course, Baker being an award-winning provider of that kind of training in particular, that seemed like a good match for us. So we spent quite a bit of time, and this took several months, to look at the training programs that Baker has to offer, check for accessibility specifically for our community, and then adapt one program, Customer Outcome Selling, for our needs. And what we did is we converted the workshop version of this into a virtual workshop. So we offered it for four hours a day on four consecutive mornings. And we embedded it into a larger entrepreneurship program that NIB was offering. So we had a small group together, but they, part of what they wanted to engage those on, new on, blind entrepreneurs in was e-commerce and establishing a business within that area. So we felt this was a perfect course for them. We ran that program and it was a thing of beauty. It was fantastic. The participants told us throughout the four days and afterwards, that this was fantastic, not only because it actually gave them fundamentals in sales training, but there are so many transferable skills that were imparted throughout that program and opportunities to practice. It was a huge success. And what we're now working on is a schedule for the next rollout, because now I wanna offer it more widely to a larger community of both folks who come to us through vocational rehabilitation and folks who come to us from nonprofits to get more experience with this and go through that training with us. That's really great. Uh, it's good to hear that the uh, students have been pretty receptive to this and that you have 
great examples that you, uh, you're already working with, but can you talk a little bit about what your longer range plans uh, for your team uh, when it comes to offering additional uh, job-related courses? Yeah, so since I'm responsible for learning and leadership, I have pretty ambitious plans here. Let me say again, we're only a year and a half old and we're a very small team. We just added one more team member this week, so there's 10 of us. So there's a lot to do. But my ambitious goal for, for my section is to build a learning roadmap, if you will, that has progressive professional development built in. So I'll take the sales program that we just talked about as an example. I would see customer outcome selling as the foundational course. Then I'm going to take a look at Baker's portfolio and see what makes the most sense for a next step up program. If people have now gotten a sales position, what would be the next professional development step that they would have to engage in to advance their career further? Our ultimate goal is not just to invite people in for one course, for one career skill, and then never see them again. Our goal is to build progressive professional development within a career or giving them an opportunity to switch careers down the road, but keep engaging with that community throughout their entire career life cycle. From training to finding, helping them find employment to showing them that there's additional professional development available and keep helping them develop and progress within their career until they're ready to retire. That is our ambitious goal. And, and um, yeah, it's pretty ambitious. But, but with the help of corporate partners such as uh, Baker, I think we can get this accomplished. And, and we're going to continue to help you. I know we uh, started talking to you just uh, recently about the assessments that we use when we go into a, one of our customers. We're kind of going through this revolution and if you will of, of how we are approach training uh, not not just baker but the whole sales uh, organizations around the world so you know in, in the past it's, it's been pretty much about opinion you know i think the team needs this and i think yeah. the team needs that and so we do these monolithic training events at a, at a sales kickoff and and we say we're good for another year right i'm speaking as at customer at, at this point. Like in the medical profession, as we started coming up with blood tests and, and MRIs and x-rays, there's a lot of diagnostic tools that became available for the physicians so that they could manage a disease uh, for a patient and accurately describe what the disease was to begin with. And so these new assessments that we've put to use are quite good at that. And uh, we can help you know, so they have a fundamental beginning now. Now we can go back and look at them from, there's about 170 attributes that we look at uh, that are part of like 21 skill competencies. And we, we can really pinpoint, well, this individual has this specific problem. And then there's ways to deliver that out to them that have changed with the availability of technology too. And that's uh, another conversation, I guess, we, we need to have uh, but we, we can do it virtually if there's a big enough uh, cohort of students and we can train it virtually. But there's also a way of doing that with the technology that we, we've we uh, developed this tool now that can go in and look at all those strengths and weaknesses and say, OK, this person has these four weaknesses. Instead of putting them through 25 things, we can put them through those four and hand them a course with the technology. And the technology kind of goes through and, and fixes all that so we're hoping that we can support your your ambitious goals here and a very 
positive way and, and get these folks uh, into the employment ranks. I appreciate that. And I thank you for giving me access to those assessments because I think that is truly invaluable, right? For beginners like our cohorts, it would be great to have that initial assessment, see, okay, I haven't, haven't had any sales training in the past, let me see where I stand. And if you can keep that in mind throughout the training, and I'm a strong believer in learning reinforcement, right? If you already know going in where you know you have challenges, if you're an introvert, but you still wanna try a sales training class, can I still be effective, right? So you can have focal points within the training already that kind of speak to those self-identified weaknesses maybe, or self-perceived, they may not even be real, but perceived weaknesses, right? And then if you can do an assessment after the fact to see how your comfort level has changed, that's just an amazing way to put more meaning into the training programs themselves. And like you said, focus follow on training in a much more meaningful way. Yeah, and I think that's that's gonna be very helpful. Uh, it's certainly having a major impact on, on this overall sales community. And I'm glad you mentioned how to get in touch with your team. Uh, when I first heard the uh, name Inside Ice, of course, was spelling it, you know, <laughs> I-N, but yeah. it is simply the letter N as in Nancy, and then site, S-I-T-E, not the other site. Exactly, so, yeah. Site.org. You folks are incredible to work with, and it's, it's been a lot of fun for us and very eye-opening. And uh, once we got to learn more about some of the students, we were very much, uh, you know, had a lot of empathy for, geez, something like that could happen to us or happen yeah. to one of our children, you know. And we think it's a great thing that you're, you're trying to accomplish. Thank you, Joe. You, you stop taking things for granted, right? You really do. For me, I keep telling the team I am so grateful that I have folks I can ask really basic questions and they will share with me information. For me, it's like I'm learning a new language and a new culture, and I am loving every minute of it. That's great. Great to hear. Yeah. We'll end the first session with you folks this week. We certainly appreciate you spending all this time with us to, to educate us more on, on the challenges of, uh, of, of folks with sight uh, disabilities and, and how we can help them uh, get acclimated into the employment world. And we look forward to the next episode. I have a dozen more questions for you to answer then. Thank you, Joe. I really appreciate the opportunity. And again, I can't wait to continue this collaboration. Thanks, everyone, for joining us uh, today uh, for the BCI Distinguished Leaders Series. And I think this is one of the finest leaders out there and doing some wonderful things. And you can see how they, uh, a good leader thinks. They're not only worried about something for, for today, they were looking at tomorrow and how they can do more for their their customers and I think that's what great leadership is all about. With that, we'll see you next week. Bye.